0: Good morning. It's good to see all of you and uh, looking forward to this time together. We are continuing this series uh, on the global mission of the church and one of the purposes of this phase of it is to demonstrate that God's heart for the nations and God's call to uh, essentially summon the nations of the world unto himself is not something that began in the Apostle Paul, for example, in the Great Missionary Journeys. It did not begin with Jesus Christ issuing the Great Commissions. It actually uh, begins in the heart of God Himself, and He initiates this in Genesis 12, 1-3, in the original covenant to Abraham, which we looked at last time, uh, where God called Abraham. He told me He would bless him, make his name great. Uh, he would uh, bless the land and ultimately says in your seed all nations will be blessed. So from the very, very beginning of the covenant we have this commitment and this declaration of God's heart that he would in fact bless all the nations of the earth. Uh, we're actually looking at trying to see how this plays out in the law of the prophets and the writings. So we're today as you can see looking at the Psalms and the Psalms of course are filled with passages about God's heart for the nations. In fact, uh, it would be it was actually difficult to decide which psalm to talk to you about because there's so many. It's so full of them. All of it. Psalm 117 is dedicated. to This, you know, praise the Lord, all the nations. We—if if it's true that our, you know, the, the old phrase, you know, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. As we worship, so we believe, so we live if you actually look at the content of worship, you should be able to determine what is the content of our theology. What do we believe? And certainly in the Old Testament, we find in the Psalm book of the church, the the book of Psalms, we find in the worship of the people of God, this amazing theology of God's global heart for the nations. Uh, Psalm 2, Psalm 82 tell us that the the Messiah would inherit the nations. He wasn't just there to save Israel, but all nations. Psalm 72 envisions all the kings of the earth bowing down before him. Psalm 46, you know that famous text, be still and know that I am God. I am the God of all the nations. I'll be God of all the earth. Uh, Psalm 22 says all the families of the nations remember and turn to the Lord. And then if you actually uh Google, if you want to use the word Google, Google the phrase um, ends of the earth in the Psalms. Unbelievable the number of texts which talk about his glory going to the ends of the earth, his praise praise reaching the ends of the earth. This is one of the great themes of the prayer book and the worship book of the church. And so I chose Psalm 67 because it illustrates so powerfully how the Psalms tries to capture the theology of of the Old Testament. So, it, you all know because you're seminary students and you know these things, but uh, you know that two of the most important texts in the Old Testament would be uh, certainly among the top, would be, of course, the text last time, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Abrahamic blessing, God's blessing and making covenant with Abraham. One of the most important text in, uh, in the Old Testament. The other would be, uh, certainly, the way up at the top with a great Aaronic blessing in Numbers 6, right? When the, the priest comes and the priest says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. It's one of the great prayers of the Old Testament. Well, Psalm 67, in, a, in essence, is an attempt to bring those two texts together as an act of worship so it's actually in this psalm that we have the bringing together of Genesis 12, 3 with, with, song, with the Numbers 6 passage and, uh, and, the, and the Numbers, the Aaronic blessing. Now I thought about, now I don't see Haley. Where's Haley? Is Haley still here? Yeah, Haley. Wouldn't it be great if Haley or, uh, you know, Casey Culberth, one of our worship team leaders, would say, you know what, we're going to have uh, Haley next week. Um, Take, for example, the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount and turn that into an act of worship. And, oh, by the way, let's take the Philippians hymn of Paul, the, the Christ hymn in Philippians 2, and weave that into it as act of worship. How about that for next week, Haley? No problem. All right. It's not easy, you know, and this is a really amazing thing. So what he does is he takes that middle phrase, which, of course, recalls the whole, which opens the psalm, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That's the opening of Psalm 67. Every Jew worth his salt or her salt would know, hey, we're now in the heart of the ironic blessing. And then it says, Selah. Selah. Don't forget the Selahs. We never read the Selahs anymore. They're very upset about that. The Selahs are on a rampage about it, and they're trying to get the church to not forget them. Sila, pause, reflect. God is blessing us. God is gracious to us. His face is shining upon us. And of course, the question is, why? Why does God bless us? This is the power of the gospel, isn't it? This is the power of the whole blessing. This is the power of the uh, of the the original uh, p- passage in in Genesis 12, where God blesses us so that your ways can be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. This will be the very, in the Septuagint, this is panta ta ethne, all the nations. That's the very phrase and language of the Great Commission later. This is really drawing upon the fact that the original covenant is for the sake of the nations. God blesses us he went bless the nations, and this. Remember how we looked last week? How Abraham left, left? It was this amazing chiasm. You know, he left his land, he left his clan, he left his father's house, and then there's this eternal, growing blessing. He's going to bless God's going to bless Abraham personally, give him descendants, going to bless the nation, and then all the ends of the earth will be blessed through the seed of, the, of Abraham. Well, the ironic blessing you probably may know is does the same thing, though it doesn't it work subtly. In the ironic Blessing, and if John Cook were here, he could do it for you. He did a graduation well, a couple years ago where he pronounced the ironic Blessing. In the Hebrew, each of those three ph- phrases is three words in the Hebrew, and five words in the Hebrew, and then seven words in the Hebrew. Go check it out. It's showing that the blessing of God's ever-expanding, ever-growing. It's a remarkable thing. Now, when they bring the ironic Blessing end psalm 67 they make two really important subtle changes which you should note one it says may god be gracious to us and bless us and make a station upon us now when it says may god you remember the erotic blessing if you remember it is all capital l-o-r-d right it's yahweh so the the three it's a threefold Yahweh blessing to the people. May Yahweh bless you and keep you, etc. Here it says, "May God be gracious and bless us." Okay, this universalizes the prayer, the blessing, so that you actually have not simply the people in covenant hearing that God wants to bless you. You know, which is the original context of it. God's blessing His covenantal people. So Here's the covenant God blessing those under covenant. Wow, now we're seeing. God, is. this is like now the whole world is listening in on this blessing. It's like, no, we want everyone to know that God is, even those not in covenant, God's going to bless you too. God has a plan of blessing for the nations of the earth. And then it doesn't say, uh, it isn't the, the priest saying, Yahweh be gracious to you and bless you. It's actually a prayer, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Now we're praying this prayer. So here we now have a not a solitary prayer, Priest, like the high priest, pronouncing the unpronounceable name over the people. Now we have the corporate people together worshiping God, praying about us. This is a community being united to God's mission in the world. It's it's quite a remarkable a uh, thing. And by the way, just um, the connection with the Shema is worth noting here. Um, how many of you are Star Trek fans? Okay, I guess I should go on with the illustration then. All right. Um, I'm a real Star Trek fan. I mean, I know the episodes of Star Trek, left and right. I did, You know, it's just my whole life is defined by various Star Trek episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's like when the Borg did this. That's like when, you know, everything is tied into Star Trek. But, the, of course, the most famous uh, sign of Star Trek is this, right? In the What is this? Live long and prosper, right? This is the great, you know, the Vulcan greeting. Well, do you know where that came from? Leonard Nimoy, this has been very, very widely known. You can go Google it. It's not now when you get home. Uh, Google on the YouTube uh, Leonard Nimoy's explanation of, of the uh, Live Long and Prosper. And he, he'll tell you. He grew up as a Jewish Ukrainian boy in New York City and he uh, we used to watch as the priest pronounced the blessing may the Lord bless you and keep you and by the way in the, the modern Judaism they change it to, to uh, Elohim there too because they're articulating the, the name of God publicly so may, the, may God bless you and keep you may look his face shine upon you all that they do it like this all right he saw that that was really wild it would happen <laughs> Do that? This is now dead. We definitely need a renovation of Estes Chapel. <laughs> if we can now have the ushers come forward because a new sound system is in our plan. Okay. All right, let's go with this. This is now apparently worthless. All right. So at that holy moment when the priest of God prays the ironic Blessing, He's holding this up which in Hebrew is the is the is the letter what? Shin. All right, we got it. Praise the Lord, brother. This is shin. Okay? The shin is the first letter of the word Shema. Right? Hero Israel, the Lord of God is the Lord is one. That is this that's the Shema, right? The Shema Israel, the Hero Israel. That's the great thing. So when they're saying that, they're pronouncing that over the people as well. And so this is this text is rich with all of this great thing. So it even ties into Star Trek. All right. So God blesses us, that we might be a blessing. And then, of course, the rest of the text, God's lordship extends over all the nations. May the peoples praise you. May all the peoples praise you. This is not the parochial Jewish covenantal God. This is the God that's breaking out to all the nations, which is the only God there ever has been. So God makes covenant with the Jews that they might be a blessing to the world. And so God does not bless us just to bless us. He blesses us that might not be a blessing. Now, to bring this to a close, uh, we have to flip over to Psalm uh, 87, which we didn't have read. But Psalm 87, wow, I mean, this is going to really drive it home. Because this one Psalms people read, like, why is this in the Bible? You know, what's this doing here? I'm going to tell you, we're going to learn why it's here. Because Psalm 87 is a celebration of the covenant. And. um, Glory, verse 3, glorious things are said of you, O city of God. And listen to this, I will record Rahab, that's a poetic name for, for Egypt in, the, in, the, in poetry. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along those with Cush and will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High Himself will establish her. And, and then the Lord will write in the register of the peoples, This one was born in Zion. Silah. Think about that. As they make music, they will sing, All my fountains are in you. And when you read that, you think, Wow, this is a little strange psalm. All these you know, various, seem random, forgotten nations that are suddenly put into a song of worship. All saying they're born in Zion. None of them are born in Zion. What are we talking about here? What's going on? And in fact, three times, verse 4, 5, and 6, they're born in Zion. These are the enemies of Israel, right? These are the, this is the nation that, insla- Egypt enslaved them. The Babylonians took them in captivity. These are the ones that defeated them in battle. This, these are the ones that they were, they were raped by and robbed by. These are the ones that disenfranchise them. This is their mortal enemies. And yet in their act of worship, they declare that God, because he has a heart for the nations, he hasn't forgotten them, and they are going to be registered as being born in Zion like they were native born do you feel the scandal of this? This is not, this is not like, you know, well, the, the Old Testament is, you know, God's parochial, and it's not until the New Testament that we discover. No, 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 no. This is painful stuff here. Brought in the act of worship where God's saying to his covenant people, until you recognize that Egypt belongs to me and Babylon belongs to me and Philistia and Tyre, you'll never understand my heart that I am doing something global here. I'm doing something that's going to be encompassing the earth. That was the covenant of Israel. I blessed you to bless the nations. Yes, they killed you. Yes, they in captivity you, but I still have my people among them. And they'll be put down the register like everybody else. In this, these seven verses of this psalm, in one bold stroke, we should completely eliminate the idea that the Old Testament is only concerned with the parochial view of certain covenantal people of God. God blesses us might be a blessing to the world. And of course Zion is one of these amazing words. If you look at how Zion moves from 2 Samuel five to you know a a little outcropping of Jebusites that David captures to how it's brought in and becomes symbolic of the Messianic King in Psalm two and one forty six and Joel two and Amos one, the, the lion blowing the, the, the trumpet blowing in Zion and the lion roaring in Zion. And then of course in Hebrews twelve where we you've come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. In Mount Zion, 1 Peter 2 6, you know, I have laid my cornerstone on Mount Zion. And of course, Revelation 144,000 and the redeemed with the Lamb of God singing on Mount Zion. This, this, is this, this becomes symbolic of the seat of God's redemption. This is those who belong to Him. It's not geography, it's not about what happens in Jerusalem about, or anywhere near Jerusalem. It's about what God is doing in the world. And I think today we might, you know, think, well, gosh, you know, God's doing something. You know, we're going to praise God that he's working in Grand Rapids and in Colorado Springs and Wilmore. And I praise God for Colorado Springs and Wilmore and all these places. But God's doing something in all over. God is looking out and he sees the rice farmers in Tianjin, China. And he says, they belong to me. I'm claiming them for the kingdom. He sees the, you know, the, the factory workers in Hanoi, they belong to me. They are in Zion. He looks out and sees the IT professionals in Mumbai, India, and says, they belong to me. He looks out and sees the little professor in Sao Paulo and says, they belong to me. And the soccer moms in Seattle also belong to him. And the millennials in Minnesota belong to him. You see, that's the point. He's looking out, and saying they, they belong to me, they're—they're they're, they're part of my kingdom. I have people there. When you read this, you know we—we we think Philistia, Tyre, Cush, you know Babylon, but we let's just go ahead and say it. You know, uh, the God has people among the Iranians and the Syrian refugees, and God has people among the among ISIS. Yes, wait and see as time develops. We'll begin to hear testimonies from people in the Islamic State that hear the gospel and come to Jesus. Because heaven won't be heaven without them. That's the whole point. God will not have it any other way. Because John's already seen it, and yet in our future, men and women from every tribe, every language, every tongue, and the minute you miss that, you miss what God is doing. We are part of his mission in the world, and that's the unfolding great truth of this whole thing. And so we're thankful that we come to the table today. We come not as a parochial people, was a people called to join with God in his mission to reach all nations on the earth. Thanks be to God.